Hello, welcome back to another episode of the Nailed It Orthopedic Podcast. We are so glad to have you guys back with us again today. Uh, my name is Dr. Jay Fitz. I'm one half of the show. I have my other excellent co-host right here with me. Oh, Dr. Cole, I'm here, the voice that you guys love to hear. There we go. And so, you know, we're just going to keep this thing going. I think we have a great show uh, in store for you guys. I'm going to go ahead and let Dr. Cole uh, introduce our next guest. Yeah, today we wanted to switch it up a little bit and actually, you know, talk about uh, research and, um, you know, kind of how to look at different articles and how to search for different articles and how to, you know, when you're coming upon the creative process, how to write things, how to come up with hypotheses. And we actually have a pretty good guest, a great, well-known um, guest today that has done a lot of extensive research. Uh, this is Dr. Professor Nicola Mafuli. He is um, actually based out in, in Europe. Uh, specialized in sports trauma, joint replacements, rheumatologic surgery. He actually does some adult and pediatric works as well. Um, he's actually an editorial board member of many, many journals, um, some to include here, you know, sports medicine and arthroscopy review, journal of arthroscopy, um, techniques in knee surgery, JBJS, the British volume, which, is, which stands for the Journal of Bone and Joint Surgery. He, he's done a lot. You know, he's in the part of the editorial board for the Journal of Orthopedic Surgery and research editor-in-chief since 2013. Um, and we have a, a good, a really good podcast for you guys today. Uh, we really get into a lot about, you know, how different types of projects, what to look at. And, you know, without further ado, I hope you guys really enjoy this. You are now listening to Nailed It, the orthopedic surgery podcast featuring Drs. Jay Fitz and Wendell Cole. Professor Nicola Mafuli, welcome to the podcast. Such a pleasure to have you have you on and have you kind of speak about uh, your experiences and um, and your uh, and your expertise and share with everybody. So pleasure to have you on. It's a pleasure for me to be here. Thank you very much for inviting me. Perfect, perfect. And uh, I know we're going to speak all about research today and, and, you know, kind of how to shift through articles and uh, critically appraise things. But first, I'd like to kind of start off with a, a couple of questions, just kind of getting our listeners to get to know you a little bit better. Um, so, you know, kind of the first question is, you know, where, where are you from and, and why did you want to go into orthopedic surgery? Well, um, I'm originally from Italy. I graduated uh, in Italy in 1983, but my parents sort of shipped me over to the UK when I was very young to learn English, and I was therefore quite fluent in English you know, at that stage. Um, I graduated after done three years of um, basic sciences research in molecular biology, and after graduation, I was supposed to become a molecular biologist. But uh, one of my aunties fractured their ankle, and my father, who was a, a doctor, um, assessed their injury and then referred her to one of, my, one of our family friends, who was an orthopedic surgeon. And so when I accompanied my auntie to be operated, he asked me to scrub up with him and help her out. Um, and I stated at the time that I would have fainted because I'd never been in a, in a theater as an assistant. But uh, um, he said, well, come on, get on with it. You're a, a medical graduate. You have, to, you have to do your house jobs. Therefore, you have to be able to be in theater. Just uh, uh, get on and do it. 
And um, so I did that and I fell in love with orthopedics in not even overnight. It was just a question of a few minutes. And uh, overnight, however, I changed my career and I decided to go into orthopedics. And so my journey started. Uh, after graduation, as I was telling you, I went over first to Sweden and then to UK. And uh, I've been in the UK since 1985, and uh, I've been the first non-British European to um, to have the, um, the British Board of Orthopedics for the uh, Fellowship of the Royal College of Surgeons in Trauma and Orthopedics. And uh, I progressed into an academic career. I always wanted to be able to undertake clinical practice, but also uh, teach and do research. And uh, I've been in a chair position since 2001. Um, over the years, I've been involved in medical publishing um, as an author uh, to start with, but then um, as a reviewer, and eventually I was invited to um, edit uh, two journals. And at present, I'm the editor-in-chief of the Journal of Orthopedic Surgery and Research and of uh, a Muscle Ligament Tendons Journal. Man, that is uh, that's awesome, man. That that that's great. It seems like you're very well traveled, though. <laughs> First of all, well, and, um, I have been lucky. I've been lucky enough in that um, I've been an ABC uh, traveling fellow, American British Canadian traveling fellows, and this was very much the uh, the highlight of my um, surgical career as a trainee. And in 1998. Um, I was able to visit many centers in in the States and Canada, uh, traveling with uh, several guys who have become leaders in their own field, both in uh, uh, in the UK and in uh, in the Southern Hemisphere between South Africa, New Zealand, and uh, Australia. Uh, a totally enjoyable experience, which allowed me to forge links, um, especially in North America, which have been present since. Okay, absolutely. Well, yeah, I mean, we can definitely see, I mean, in the orthopedic world, you have uh, gotten around quite a bit. And I mean, that makes us even more proud to have you on our show. That's that's absolutely wonderful. But let's see, just outside of medicine, uh, you know, what does Dr. Mufuli like to do for fun? <laughs> well, um, at one stage, I was a freestyle on the wrestler and a dual player. And uh, I um, I was fighting at the 57 kilograms category, weight class category, and I was uh, third in Italy. And then uh, when I moved to the UK, I kept on going and I, um, I was fighting at 62 kilograms and I won the British Open twice in another martial art called Sambo Wrestling in 87-89 and then represented England in the World Trials in uh, 1988 coming third and my sort of swan song was in 1989 um, I came fourth in the European Championships. Since then I kept on training in June until became, I became a chair and I had to change my my town going from Aberdeen in Scotland to Stoke-on-Trent in England and uh, I just was too busy I didn't manage to um, to continue with going on the mat and and uh, being thrown and throwing people for for fun but I keep I kept on having um, having an active life um, going to the gym and nowadays I wake up very early in the morning so for 4 30 5 o'clock in the morning and I go to I go to the gym before 
um, before operating, before embarking in, the, in, a, in a full day of orthopedics. I've always loved the long hours that we're trained with. And at the, in, in the States, you've now limited your hours, your training hours to 80 mm-hmm. in, in Europe. Unfortunately, we have the European Working Time Directive, which limits the hours of the trainees to only 48 hours. I feel that for the craft specialties such as orthopedics, this is not um, the right thing to do and that we need a major exposure to our work, uh, especially in the formative hours of our residency programs. Um, but I was saying at a time when we had no limits of, uh, of hours just taken for training. And so I love being involved all day long. And so, you know, a lot of people talk of work-life balance, but I love what I do. I love orthopedics. Mm-hmm. And so it's it, it to be involved all the time. I do have a family. Um, my wife is a researcher and she works in, in our department in orthopedics. And she understands me and she takes great care of our son, Giuseppe, who is now 12 years old and, uh, um, and a great boy. I don't know whether he won't want to do orthopedics eventually or, or even if he would want to do to become a medical doctor, but we'll see how things shape up in the future. Man, wow. I, I Well, first of all, I didn't, I didn't know that the work hours are limited to 48. Um, that it, that does seem like you might not be able to take the most advantage wow. of your training, but uh, yeah, that's that's uh, that's something. And then, you know, it's still good that you're working out every day, uh, that you at least, you know, wake up early and, and get a workout in. I, I aspire to be like you when I when I uh, gain gain age and wisdom. <laughs> uh, absolutely. Well, what, short, uh, bold. What do you do? You aspire to be short, bold in Italian. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know about that whole part, but I'm gonna. I want to have the same work ethic. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Um, it, we just had two more quick questions here. Now, um, it's a different question. Like, so I don't know if you're a reader, but what what book have you gifted to others the most to read? The Godfather by Mario Puzo. I think it's a, it's a great book in terms of understanding how modern management should be undertaken and uh, how the ability to delegate is important in in our everyday life. Uh, the also it tells you very much what you should do as a chair and that uh, um, you should be able to um, to have a complete um, a complete vision of what's, uh, what's going on around you and that you should be able to every so often take a, take a step back and allow the youngsters to progress and, uh, and come on top. And what's the name of that book again? It's The Godfather by Mario Puzo. Okay, perfect, perfect. Got it. <laughs> Absolutely. So we're almost almost done with the, the personal questions, but uh, with all our shows, we asked our our guests to give a one-liner about themselves. So, and that one-liner can be limited to about two sentences and it just kind of sums you up. So, uh, for example, if I was to give a one-liner for myself, I would say, well, I am a 28-year-old intern living in Cincinnati who enjoys uh, orthopedics, uh, sports, and and working out. And if if Cody was to give one, it would go something like, yeah, I, I'd say um, about to be 25-year-old uh, male intern orthopedics, likes being outside, trying new food, and uh, and working out. Okay. Well, 
59-year-old, fully accomplished orthopedic surgeon with a great will and wish to continue to work hard for the foreseeable future. Uh, Orthopedics is my life, but uh, I love my family and I love continuing to work out as much as possible. After this interview, I'm hitting the gym. I am so hyped about that. Like I just did not expect that. So I'm really, I'm really psyched to hear that that's a big thing in your life. So that is wonderful. All right, uh, great. So let's go to let's go ahead and try to shift gears here and, and talk about the the topic for the day, uh, and, and mm-hmm. talk about you know how how do we you know shift through articles, um, and how do we critically appraise literature? Because now we're getting to the point where. Recently, we just had a whole new class of um, of interns enter enter this year of you know to start their orthopedic training. We also have other people that start a fellowship, other people that are starting their practice all themselves. So, kind of to start it off, uh, you know, for the new you know interns or you know even residents, what's some of the the best advice that you can give us on like how to navigate this world of literature? You know, like how do we? Like, what source would you recommend people to how to understand how to critically appraise literature? Where do we begin at? Um, one cannot uh, begin to uh, to assess literature without having a sound a sound basis of orthopedic knowledge. Um, therefore, I would strongly recommend that uh, that our younger colleagues um, start by. Uh, understanding and reading an awful lot about um, about basic uh, the basics of orthopedics. Um, the um, the book that I recommend that my residents um, have always with them is the Miller. Uh, I think it's a great book and embraces the whole of the, the whole of orthopedics. Uh, one thing that uh, I always discourage my uh, younger guys from doing is to specialize too soon. Uh, I think that specialization is good, but uh, if you specialize too soon, you miss out on the great things that orthopedics has to offer. Um, the, um, the reality is that if we specialize too soon, uh, we end up uh, losing track of the whole specialty. And in this respect, um, the words that Gareth uh, Sarmiento uttered in the 70s and 80s when he was totally against the super-specialization of the periods come to mind, he said quite clearly that uh, we should own the bone as, as a whole. And uh, the recent... Uh, stress of the American Academy of Orthopedic Surgeons to regain control of the whole bone really echoes um, these concerns that Sarmiento was airing more than 30 years ago. Um, but once we have achieved a full understanding of the orthopedic literature as a whole, then and only then I would recommend that he will start uh, uh, appraising what they read. Um, there is no doubt that there are an awful lot of orthopedic journals around. Um, some of them are not as good as the others, uh, but uh, the ones that uh, I always counsel my uh, boys and girls from uh, to read are the JBJS American the, uh, Journal of the American Academy of Orthopedic Surgeons, the American Journal of Sports Medicine, um, and the like. Um, the, these are, uh, the other journal that obviously comes to mind is the BJJ, the Bone and Joint Journal, uh, Originally, it was the journal, the journal, the, the journal of brain joint surgery, British volume, but over the last five years, it has transmuted itself into BJJ, and it has now reached a standard good enough to be 
be able to um, be read by just about anybody in the field. All these journals have a very, very strong, very, very strict um, peer review um, policy and therefore uh, allow um, articles to be published only when they are absolutely perfect. Needless to say, I edit uh, two other journals, the Journal of Orthopedic Surgeon Research and Marcelino and Dental Journal. Um, and I would strongly recommend that, uh, that orthopedic residents and attendees do read these journals as well. Um, the reality is that nowadays we are exposed to an enormous amount of literature uh, which does not necessarily reflect, in very commas, um, orthopedic truth. Uh, many studies are performed um, being sponsored by a variety of sources which do not have at their heart um, the, um, the, the orthopedic truth, but only to prove what one company, for example, um, that what one company um, advocates is correct, or that um, the technique that uh, one of us uh, performs is the, is the business. Um, one should always have access to the whole of the orthopedic literature to be able to understand what happens there and uh, the wisdom that our orthopedic forefathers have put forward should always guide us. Perfect. And and something that you, you said I kind of wanted to follow up on <clears throat> is you, you wanted to, you, you recommended JBJS for reading and then you said you want to have good journals or you want to be reading good journals. So what makes like a journal good? Like what should we be on the lookout for when we see an article or, or we're looking at a journal and we're trying to decide whether this would be something that a journal that we should be reading or this is something that maybe we should continue to further look for another journal to uh, look at? Um, in a paper, I like conciseness. So if, it, if an article is too long, it is difficult to digest and it's difficult to retain. Um, the Journal of Management Surgery, the American Journal of Medicine, the Journal of the American Academy of Orthopedic Surgeons, all, um, and all have extensive in-house editing to make sure that uh, an article is topical and directly tickles the fancy of the readers. Um, this is not necessarily undertaken by other journals. Um, the fact that all the journals that I suggest um, are in reality international journals allows us to um, to have a better vision of what happens in the world of orthopedics uh, throughout the entire globe. And this, are, this is something else that um, we should keep in mind because orthopedics is not just um, a local specialty, and no country holds um, the ultimate wisdom in that specialty. Okay, absolutely, yes, sir. I, that's definitely some good tips to use when trying to seek out a, a good journal. I think, like you said, that extensive in-house editing is is, is a major key, a major point, I believe, like uh, and the conciseness, absolutely. Yeah. Um, so you know, we're interns and. And there's plenty of us around the country, not just in orthopedia, just all over. Uh, and you, you, you go to these programs and uh, they expect, most programs expect for you to do some kind of uh, research at some point, whether it's one project that's going to be uh, presented somewhere or, uh, or uh, sent to a journal. Um, but if you don't have a lot of background in research, what, what do you say, like how should a resident go about becoming skilled 
in research? The, uh, the lack of research skills does not uh, exempt one from undertaking research, I believe. Mm. Um, we should always have, we should always find a mentor. In most programs, you have mentors. Um, in my own program, um, I have my residents, and I have four residents per year, um, as a statutory uh, sort of obligation to perform, uh, to undertake two publications every six months, so four publications a year. And case reports uh, don't don't count in this. Case reports is just something, is a a stroke of luck that uh, is not real research. Um, Having a good appending is probably the single best resource that uh, residents may have. And nowadays, you cannot really become an attending without having performed some research. Um, the other thing that I always recommend is that nobody should perform research on something they don't like. Um, so if uh, I, tell my, I tell my boys and girls that uh, um, even if I ask them to do something, they should come clean straight away. And if I tell them to do something on a topic that they don't like, uh, they should just tell me straight away because um, you, know, you will not end up doing performing good research. Um, there are plenty of of uh, online guides on how to undertake research, um, but probably the single most important thing is uh, to be able to formulate a good hypothesis. Um, you cannot uh, really do that without knowing the literature, and that is why you have to have a good vision of what's going on in our field. Um, I always recommend that uh, uh, people should not just plunge into the latest fashion and really work out what are the um, essential items that need to be researched in our field. So for example, at present, there's a big, big stress in regenerative medicine um, in musculoskeletal uh, problems. But uh, although this is fashionable, doesn't mean that it has to be researched for the health to the extent that we do now, especially considering that uh, um, the, um, the evidence in favor of such fashionable techniques is still not there. Um, I love clinical research, and uh, one cannot undertake a clinical research without knowing clinical orthopedics. And that is why probably should, yeah, it is not uh, um, feasible to ask a resident to immediately plunge into undertake clinical research. They have to be versed into some form of clinical practice for one year or thereabout before they can understand the mechanics of uh, clinical orthopedics and therefore um, understand what they can be interested in, what are the important things mm-hmm. to um, to to research about. I feel that at present, conservative management of orthopedics and traumatic conditions have been a bit overlooked, and this is something that we should revive simply because we're living in a in a, uh, in a society which is more and more litigious, and therefore, paradoxically, if we operate on everything, we may be asking for trouble because we forget that we may have forgotten in conservative management may. Um, may produce good clinical results without the inevitable complications that uh, open surgery involves. Perfect. And and some of the things that you're you're just speaking about, as far as like doing clinical research and having things be clinically significant, uh, I feel like a lot of times 
sometimes, you know, we as residents or just people get caught up in statistically significant data, while it may not yeah. be clinically uh, significant. And uh, I just want to know if really quick, if you could kind of touch on it too, and how to discern like kind of what's important to be looking at, like what, when we're looking at significance. Um, I'm not a statistician, but what I, what I can tell you is that uh, statistical, statistical significance and clinical, re- clinical relevance don't necessarily go hand in hand. Um, so if we have a large enough sample, a difference of 1% might be highly statistically significant, but don't have any clinical bear- bearing. Um, we have to exert our... Um, uh, we have to be sensible about this, um, and we have to understand that uh, that small differences in big samples don't mean that we, we have any uh, clinical uh, clinical relevance. Um, the, um, we just have to to be sensible about it, and. Um, one, you know, the, the, the $64,000 question that I always ask uh, my residents is, uh, what you've now shown, the study has now shown that uh, the statistical, statistical significance, would you adopt uh, this particular um, treatment in your beloved sister or in your loved girlfriends or in, in your parents or in your brother? Um, if the answer no, then uh, probably the statistics should be revised and the clinical significance of that particular intervention be put into question. Okay. All right. Well, yes, sir. Absolutely. Uh, I do have a question just because I just kind of want to see how you do things as well. Say if someone, you know, when someone submits an article uh, to your journal, uh, how do you critically review articles and can you kind of explain the thought processes behind your, your evaluation? Um, I want a good sound hypothesis. Um, the, nowadays, we look more and more for power analysis, and I very much like what Mohit Bandari has stated a while ago, that no matter what your power analysis shows, in common or conditions, you should have at least 100 patients per each uh, each. A branch of your um, of your groups in order to perform clinical relevant studies. Um, the statistics and the treatment of data must be um, totally faultless, and uh, and you must use both objective and subjective outcome measures. Uh, the the new movement towards using more and more prompts, patiently uh, patient related outcome measures, is very welcome in this field. Um, in the past, we were focusing too much on just mechanistic type of, um, of outcome measures. And instead, the subjective outcome measures that uh, are now coming to the forefront um, should, be continue, should continue to be used because something may look good on x-rays, but the patient may say that it doesn't work in clinical practice. That's a good point. Uh, yeah, that's actually a good point. Uh, like you say, just because... Uh, well, one of the things some of my attendants tell me is that, you know, you just can't go off of an x-ray, just like you were saying. You have to uh, you have to go talk to your patient and examine your patient and see what they're thinking. Um, and actually, I'm glad you said that. That, that kind of opened my mind up to maybe some possible, because re- I'm thinking about that as well, like what research projects I'm going to get into. And maybe I should look into mm-hmm. more subjective measurements for some of the uh, 
you know, results and different things of, of the of the study. So that's a great idea. The other thing that I, I must confess I like is controversial articles. Um, so articles that uh, um, really stimulate us to think and they may not, not necessarily follow mainstream thoughts about a given condition. Um, if these are uh, scientifically well researched and performed, um, then they do find a, a place in the literature and I like publishing those. Mm, right. So, for example, like would viscose supplementation or something like that be a topic that you would uh, that that that's a little bit controversial that you would uh, be uh, if it was a sound uh, article or sound research project? That's something that, for yeah. example, that you would do. Yes, I mean, obviously negative and also uh, the other thing is that um, I like negative results. Uh, the fact that the result is negative, uh, the fact that it does not confirm um, received wisdom or it goes, it goes against the original hypothesis that we put forward, um, providing that has been reached using a proper scientific process is a good result and I don't mind publishing that. That's perfect. That's perfect. And and so I have another question. So say that, you know, we, we have a, a bunch of articles in front of us and we're trying to figure out which articles that, that we want to, that will be the most uh, beneficial, I guess, for our project. And so I guess what I'm trying to ask is, can you, can we navigate through an article effectively in three minutes? You know, if we want to do a quick, a quick look at it, just to make sure that, you know, this is something that we want to do. Um, can we navigate through something quickly within three minutes? And if so, what are some of the things that you look at when you're doing so? Three minutes would require a very, very, an ability to to read very, very fast, which I'm not sure I have. (laughs) But (laughs) let's say that, (laughs) but uh, let's say that I want an article which is well written and therefore um, it has to be easily comprehensible in good English. Um, the hypothesis has to be very clear and very clearly stated. Um, the material and methods have to be clearly written. The statistics has to be uh, well performed, but does not have to be abstruse statistics. I don't want to have, uh, you know, obscure tests which confirm statistical significance. I want straightforward tests which allow me to to uh, to pick uh, whether that article is uh, statis- whether the results are statistically significant but also clinically relevant. In the discussion, um, so in the results, I want clear exposition of uh, what has been uh, what has been found in that article. And in the discussion, I want that the authors outline very clearly what. The, the findings are, and what above all the limitations of the uh, of the article that uh, they have that uh, they have written are. Um, also, a concluding remarks on the uh, in clinical implications and the future research that can be performed using um, that article as a starting point um, would would be a bonus. So it actually sounds like just kind of listening to you, it sounds like it all goes back to being clear and concise with all of Correct. those. Yeah. Concise. And I, I can definitely see that's some one of the things that you value. And like you say, I could definitely see that being something that is very helpful, especially if you're trying to quickly evaluate an, an article. You have to be concise. So that, that makes absolute sense. 
Yes, sir. So, all right. And on that note, you know, on the writing process, is there any advice that you have for interns on the writing process? Should they do the abstract first or, uh, you know, go ahead and write the introduction? Like, is there, what, what, are, what are the tips that you give for the actual putting it down on paper part of the process? I personally like writing the abstract last. Um, And uh, um, inevitably, uh, the the way in which we write papers nowadays is fairly 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 formulaic. The in-write process is what is followed. So introduction, material, methods, results, and discussion is the the suggested way in which uh, orthopedic articles are written. And I think that uh, this system has evolved through a sort of Darwinian selection process. I think it does uh, does stood the test of time. Um, Inevitably, if we want to perform a good uh, introduction and discussion, uh, you have to know the literature and you have to be concise in citing that. I think that uh, 250, 300 words for for a discussion uh, sorry for an introduction are, are more than enough. I would spend a lot of time uh, writing um, the material methods. These are uh, one has to be sure that uh, um, that that they are well stated and thoroughly stated, so that if somebody else wants to uh, take the same path that we have, um, they can reproduce our research. Um, nowadays. Essentially, you cannot research without statistics, and I suggest to involve a statistician from the very early outset of the uh, of the research project, so that they can help out in planning the research and the analysis that they're going to undertake. Um, the results have to be simple, straightforward, and the discussion. Uh, well, the discussion um, there is now a movement. Um, in having structured discussion as well as structured abstract. I personally don't terribly like structured abstracts, but the structured discussion whereby uh, we formally uh, discuss the results and then put them in the context of the present uh, literature. Uh, We outline the uh, limitations of our research and we suggest how we can progress from there I think that this is the uh, the way to go. Um, over long um, discussions are not uh, not of my liking, and probably anything between six hundred and one thousand words for the discussion is complete. I know that some journals, such as the BDJ, the Bollinger Journal, discourage um, submissions above three thousand words, and I think that in general a research project can be summarized in three in three thousand words. If not then uh, um, think about dividing into uh, two different papers, but um, then you can be um, can be accused of salami slicing and therefore always try and keep it short uh, because if it's short, then it will have a major a, a, a major impact in your reader. Right. So, and, and, and kind of really quick, I just wanted to just, just to reiterate what you just said about the discussion and make sure I had it right from what you were saying. So when you have your structured discussion, you typically uh, structure it like this. So you you discuss the results that were found from the from the uh, from the study. Then you kind of put it into the context of the current literature. Then from there, you speak about um, the future, like where we would go next 
in um in you know in this study and you also kind of discuss the limitations of the project is that did i miss anything or is that kind of how you do the discussion correct and another thing uh because you know we were kind of talking about word limits and different things like that and i know different journals have different limitations and rules that they want you to go by um would you think would you say that it's you know, advantageous to just go ahead and kind of seek out the article that you actually want first so that you could write your paper in that particular format and kind of go from there? Well, I think that uh, the first step is to write a good article and then you seek the, the journal that is most appropriate to it. Mm-hmm. Um, the, that is what I suggest to my, uh, to my residents and that's what I've always done. Um, I don't think it's good to start by writing for a given journal. Um, I, in general, I want um, I want to write a good uh, a good manuscript first, and then see where it fits. Okay, absolutely. All right, well, I'm I'm with that. I was just kind of wondering about that because I have been in a predicament where, you know, like you say, you write an article, and uh, you know, next thing you know, you try to put it into this particular. Uh, journal, uh, but your abstract way too long, or your, or your, <laughs> your results not made the right way, or you have to make a different type of uh, graph or something like that, and just little details. It doesn't take a lot of work to change, but I was just wondering about that. Mm-hmm. Yes, and, and, and we we just have about one or two more questions here, kind of before we wrap up. Um, now, yeah. are there any specific sources that you use uh, that you have found it? Uh, easier when you write papers, you know, for example, I know there's a lot of different um, organization things such as Mendeley or EndNote. We want to know if you have any um, specific things that you find it easier in order to kind of streamline this process of writing a paper, you know, whether it be something to, uh, that puts the bibliography EndNote. right into there. Oh, go ahead. EndNote, EndNote is probably the easiest one at present. Um, the, and that's what uh, we normally use in my setting. Um, obviously, you have to be conversant with PubMed and uh, with Web of Science and uh, make sure that the other thing is make, make always sure that you, when uh, um, you put the final touch to your paper, that um, you have followed the instructions for others to the, for the journal you want to publish in. Right. Okay. Absolutely. Well, I think this has been really good. This has been like a really nice review of just being able to, uh, you know, successfully navigate through literature. Um, you know, there's a lot of other details that we might get back with you one of these days to get to some of the nuts and bolts of some of these things that you look for. But I think this was a very great review to just kind of look at things uh, on the surface for sure. And, and is there is there anything else that, you know, before you wrap up here that you would like the listeners to, you know, know about or think about when they're thinking about, you know, articles and, and research? Well, uh, we've mainly up to now spoken about um, journals which are published in the classical way in print. Uh, obviously, there is a large number of journals now which are published online. And um, I think that uh, they will expand more and more, and they have an advantage that they don't have limits or limitations of words and of pages that can be published. Um, this subject, as well, we have to keep an eye on. Um, and uh, although I believe that there will be a, a great, um, a great necessity of 
integer and of this inevitable um, expansion of the online only journals. Indeed, uh, the two journals I added, um, the Journal of Surgeon Research and the MRTJ, the Masters, the Maintenance Journal, uh, they are both online and they allow us to a great space so that if one has great sets of data, for example, and so on, they can be published online without any, uh, without impinging on the number of printed pages, which would result in a large, in a large increase in cost of the printed, of the printed version of the journal. Perfect. Perfect. Well, Dr. Mufuli, thank you so much for uh, being a guest and imparting your knowledge and, and uh, helping educate uh, this, this next, uh, this next, uh, generation of influencers and uh, researchers. And uh, thank you so much for your time. It was a pleasure having you on the show. Thank you very much. It was a pleasure. Thank you. Absolutely. So I hope all the readers and well, excuse me, all the listeners remembers conciseness is key conciseness straight and uh, be clear. I, I, I got that message. So hope everybody <laughs> else catch it as well. Uh, and I also want to say thank you, Dr. Mufuli. I want to say thank you to all the listeners. Uh, thank you all for tuning in again. We can't do this without you guys. And you all have a great day. Same to you, Dr. Mafuli. Thank you all for listening to yet another episode of the Nail It Orthopedic Podcast. Um, this episode with Dr. Mafuli was a little bit different, but we hope that you all enjoyed it. And any of our early uh, uh, people coming into training, whether it's med students or residents or you know even attendings that are listening to this, they kind of want to get into research. I hope this kind of gives you a good overview of some things that you may be on the lookout for and some tips to help you kind of write a paper. Um, if you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to the Nailed It Ortho podcast. Um, just click the subscribe button if you're listening on iTunes or Google Play, whatever you are. And please go and leave us a review. We'd love to hear your opinions and your feedback, things you liked, things you didn't like, things you think we can improve on. Okay. And if you ever want to contact us, just send us an email at nailedortho at gmail.com. And you can also follow us on Instagram at nailedortho, as well as follow and get all of our show notes at nailedortho.com. Until next time.